Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Well, good morning, North Shore. Good to see you. Good to see you. Um, I didn't get a chance last week. If I'm going to make a confession to you. Um, many of you know I was over in Australia for three weeks visiting my my daughter, my youngest daughter, who I haven't seen in two years because of the uh, lockdown um, due to COVID in Australia. And so I, last week was my return, and I was supposed to you know, be the host, and I got caught talking to people out there, and I came walking in, and I missed my moment. So if you were here last week, and you noticed a real awkward transition, that's what happened. It's my fault, okay? Um, so uh, here is my granddaughter, Gracie. Um, uh, I put that here. She has a, I know, she's beautiful. <laughs> and it was just an amazing trip, you know, just spent um, time there. They live on a 7,500-acre cattle ranch, and so I spent my time relaxing. There I am out in the, they call that the paddock, pasture, um, uh, chasing cows and kangaroos for three weeks. It was awesome. Uh, and being with my daughter, I learned how to hang clothes on a clothesline because they don't have dryers. So, well, so, you know, out in the uh, bush, they call it, they don't have dryers. So um, some of you are old like me, might remember those good old days. Well, I had to be reminded, there's my young daughter there teaching me how to hang clothes, and this is one of my chores every day. Uh, anyway, it was an amazing time, enjoyed it. Um, thank you for the, uh, just the grace of the church uh, allowing us to go. Uh, I did bring something back, though, and you can tell, a cold. Okay, <laughs> and, uh, and listen, having a cold in 2021, isn't it just different? I promise, I have been tested so much as, as recent as this morning, okay? Uh, so, um, but I know you are terrified of me. I'm trying to keep distance and be good because it's like, man, you cough in public now and the, it scatters. It's just, we're in a different world. Um, though my voice right at the end of this morning's sermon uh, started giving out. So we'll do the best we can, Okay. All right, so I'm super excited. If you need a Bible, the ushers are there. Throw your hand up. We are going to continue uh, the series we kicked off last week that we call The Worthy Walk. The Worthy Walk, and it's a study through uh, the book of Ephesians. And Ephesians is uh, a letter written from the Apostle Paul. While he was in prison in Rome, he wrote a letter back to a church that he planted on his second missionary journey. Uh, the town is Ephesus. It's basically a coastal town in modern-day Turkey. Uh, very, very important city. And Paul spent on his third missionary trip three years with them. Incredible spiritual highs, incredible spiritual lows. Just an inc- uh, powerful experience they had together. And Ephesus was this melting pot. It was a world uh, port. And so it has incredible influence. It had Persian influence. It had uh, the the Greek influence, Roman influence, uh, Jewish influence. And it was a hub of paganism, false gods and religion. And in that, Paul writes this letter to say, hey, regardless of your circumstances, Ephesians 4.1, he says this, walk worthy, walk in a worthy manner to your calling. I mean, as believers, as followers of Jesus, regardless of your circumstance, the environment you find yourself in, walk in a worthy manner. And that's my prayer for you. As your pastor, whatever your circumstances is, whether it be home, work, 
community, state, nation, country, whatever it is, as a follower of Jesus, walk in a worthy manner to that. Because there's blessings for that. My hope for you is that you experience everything that Jesus has for you and your family. And it can only be found in walking in a worthy manner, living out your Christian faith. Jesus teaches in Matthew 7 that there's a critical component to your spiritual walk. Many of you heard this before. Jesus gives an illustration as he points out that critical component is the foundation that you walk on. That you have to walk on a good foundation. And the illustration that he gives is of a wise man and a foolish man. The wise man, he builds his home on strong, good foundation, rock. The foolish man, he builds his home on sand, not good foundation. And when the storms came and blew against it, when those tough struggles in life, when the circumstances and surroundings around came, what happened? The wise man who built his home on a good foundation, it was stood. It stood strong. The foolish man who built his home on sand, and I love this in Matthew 7, verse 28, I believe. It says this. Uh, he had a great fall. Had a great fall. It hurt bad. Life fell apart. So it's important as we talk about the worthy walk, walking in a worthy manner as followers of Jesus, that we have to understand the foundation. So it's no surprise that Paul, in Ephesians chapter 1, after he gives his typical greeting, in verse 3 through 14, what he does is he gives us a doxology. Okay, so Paul's doxology in uh, verses 3 through 14, just so you know, that is one sentence in the Greek. In English translations, they're doing their best to break it up, so we're going to do our best. It's a mouth of well over 200 words in one sentence. But it, what it is, it's a praise, a doxology uh, to God for his foundation. That's what doxology means. It's giving glory to God, praising God. That's what Paul does. So we're going to do that. So let me pray. You turn to Ephesians chapter 1, uh, verse 3, and we're going to begin by reading. But let me just pray over us. Father God, you're good. We love you. We trust you. And God, we trust you with your authority of word in our lives. And so I pray for each person here that you would move in their hearts and minds today, that you would say something to them through your word that would draw them closer to you that would allow them to walk in a worthy manner and receive all the blessings that you have. You are a good God. We love you and we are grateful. We offer ourselves to you now in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Let me read here. Okay, I'll do my best to read this massive sentence, okay? Verse 3, we're going to go all the way to 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
in love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Uh, very, very powerful text here. And so we're going to, we won't be able to touch every nuance, but I think we're going to get the heart of what Paul is getting at here. Uh, he starts off in verse 3 with what I call the good word. The good word. He says this, is a, we are blessed in Christ. We are blessed in Christ, he says. You are blessed. What is blessed? Well, the original word, the Greek word there, is where we get the same word for eulogy. Eulogy. Where have you heard of a eulogy before? A funeral, right? Where someone gets up and says something nice about somebody, right? It's a good thing. <laughs> but there is far deeper meaning than that. It's a compound word, right? E-U, U means good, right, true, trustworthy, trustworthy. This is right. This is good. This is trustworthy. What is good, right, and trustworthy? Logos. Logos is the word. Sanjay did a great job in the background of Ephesians and even this word in last week's message. So really encourage you to listen to that if you have not. It really sets up the whole series really well. And he talked about this. What is logos? It's not word like the word in the dictionary. It's the word, it's the reason. It's, it's the plan. It's the firm foundation it is the organizing and sustaining agent in all of the world, the Logos. That's what blessed is. And what is our Logos? Christ. In Christ. John 1, 1 and verse 14 as well in that chapter says this. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Or sorry, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 14, and the word became flesh. And, and word there is logos. And it's referring to Jesus. What is our logos? What is our good foundation? Jesus Christ. And what Paul is saying in this message, in this, this opening to this sentence, is Jesus is our good foundation. He is where 
every spiritual blessing in all the heavenly places comes from. What he's saying is everything that you can ever want and desire that has any worth or meaning comes from Jesus. You know, sometimes we make fun of the, uh, what we call the Sunday school answer, right? What every question asked in Sunday school, what do the kids answer? Jesus. Well, maybe there's a very deep theological truth to their answer, right? Maybe they know something more than we do. So everything that you are encountering, everything that you are experiencing, this is what Paul's whole message is in Ephesians and why he starts off with this. Everything. The answer is always Jesus. It's always Jesus. That is where our hope is found. That hope changes everything. And so he goes on, if our, our foundation is Jesus, he begins to describe our good foundation to us. And here's what's really cool. Our good foundation, you're going to find that the entire Trinity plays a role. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, each of them plays a distinct role in being our foundation. So why is this the longest sentence in the Bible? Because it's all one big important truth to us for our foundation. Okay, let's dive into this. So you look at verse 4. Look at verse 4, and you see the Father. Now, the Father, it says, I want to just read this for us. Even as he chose us, and it's talking about the Father, in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, it starts in Verse 5 there. What it says is this, is the Father set the foundation. Before the foundation of the world. So what is the original foundation? It is that which the Father set. Jesus. So regardless of anything in this earth, God set a foundation before it. There is nothing here that can support us to have a worthy walk. It was set by God before. Now this is a very explosive verse in the Bible, just so you know. For this reason, okay? Because it says, he chose us before time. And what he chose us, he established Jesus as a foundation that we'd be saved and go to, and be able to stand on that foundation. So scholars over the time says, wait. You know, predestination, election, right? Some of you know this. Churches have split over this. There's a huge controversy around this word. And if this is our foundation, we have to understand how to stand and walk on it. So let's talk about it just for a few minutes. So what the controversy is, it's around salvation. Our calling, our invitation, and our interaction with God onto this foundation. And this, this controversy has found itself kind of wrapped around two men's names. You know, and two uh, schools of thought. Calvinism, 
election, right, the tag word for that, and Arminianism and free will, kind of the tagline with that. Okay, so let me give you just a little history, okay, uh, of this. And so the history basically starts uh, in about, in 1517, a guy named Martin Luther. Um, he started having a problem with the Catholic Church because they were uh, given authority to sell indulgence, right? And so what happens is they saw this happen and they said, wait, you don't have the authority to do that. And they got upset. So he started studying the scriptures. And what he came to the conclusion was, is, hey, the scripture has the authority. The Catholic Church does not have the authority. And he hung his 95 thesis, right, on a church and said, okay, I want to talk about these things. Uh, but it started something that we know as the Protestant Reformation. And that started taking off, right? And, and, and basically, the end of that is the <coughs> scripture's authority, then soon after that, a theologian named John Calvin came along. And as he accepted the scripture's authority, started studying the scripture. And said, hey, this seems to say that how we come to God, how we come to that foundation, how we come to Jesus, is through predestination. That God decided alone without any man's involvement or anything, God decided who was going to be elected and saved. Then after him sometime. You know, well, in fact, I think the verse that we're looking at right now was one of his main verses. Right? If you read that, it boy, sure stands like God before the foundation of the world decided, chose on his own. And then Jacob, Arminius came, uh, I think, 1590 range. And as he's looking at Scripture and authority, looking at Calvin's work, says, wait, I'm seeing something different in Scripture. I am seeing that there is a foreknowledge that he knew who would decide, but there's human choice in that. That humans seem to choose if they're going to follow God or not. And God gives them space to allow them to do that. Because he says, look at this. If this wasn't true, the garden wouldn't make any sense to me. What's up with that fruit? God, even in this, in verse 13, in this one big sentence, Paul himself, he talks about believing. So there's a tension right there. And these guys, believe it or not, were not adversaries with one another. Because this teaching, both of them spread from there and became very, very divisive. It wasn't true of Calvin uh, and Arminius. They actually used each other's work as they were discovering this. It's when it kind of went to everybody else and even today. An illustration that I saw firsthand, a buddy of mine um, from Spokane was a pastor. And their church hired an associate pastor. And that person came on, um, and he came from a particular church. I won't tell you that church, because I'm sure a lot of you know that church. Um, and uh, they believed in the lordship of Christ, Calvinism. And so he began to teach that. A lot of people kind of, yeah, 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 that's right, you know. And the church itself was more in the Arminian, free will. Yep, 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 and grace in this. And it created a great division to where one Sunday, the church was 1,800 people. The, the associate pastor said, 
I've got to leave. 900 people followed him out the door that very Sunday. A church of 1,800 split in half. Very, very divisive issue. But as you look at this topic, even how Paul's addressing it, this one set in doxology is full of joy and praise and excitement. How do we, if this is our foundation, it can't be some big divisive thing. How do we harmonize this? I want to make a suggestion to you. I want to introduce you to a word. It's a word that comes out of philosophy, but has been adopted by, in, in theology, and we see it in scripture. The word is antinomy. Okay, antinomy. And what antinomy is where two uh, contradictions exist, but both are equally true in Scripture. Where there's a contradiction in Scripture where both are equally true. Let me give you a couple examples. Uh, A simple one is Pharaoh in Exodus 6 through 10. Uh, Many of you remember Moses uh, went uh, to ask Pharaoh to let the people go, the Hebrew people. And it says in that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Okay, right? But you keep reading there, and all of a sudden you read that Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so all through those things, you see this Pharaoh hardened his heart, uh, God hardened Pharaoh, Pharaoh's heart. Who hardened Pharaoh's heart? Guess what? Scripture is very clear. Both are true. You know, an example that you really grab is... Jesus, Jesus the God-man, that Jesus is 100% fully God, and Jesus is 100% fully man. How can that be? Stealing the words for Chuck Swindoll, I don't know. Right? It's an antinomy. They are both true. They are full truth. You live in antinomy. Ready? How many of you have more than two children? Raise your hand. More than two children. Okay. Um, Do you love each of those children 100%? How is that possible? Well, 100% is 100%, right? There's no room for anything else. There's a two truths there. And we can start talking about it forever making sense of how can you 100% love, you know, you can. You can. Scripture is full of tensions. And some of these tensions, we've got to be really careful. We don't try to force together. A picture given by some great teachers that I trust. Uh, Chuck Swindoll, as I mentioned. Uh, John MacArthur. Um, John Piper. And note this, this illustration. John Calvin himself uses it. Okay. It's funny. What Calvin wrote and how he interacted with his own teachings is so far different than what people do with it today. Okay. And here's the illustration. It's railroad tracks. Okay. Railroad tracks. Each truth. Okay. Predestination for knowledge. Human choice. God alone are two truths that are on tracks that run parallel to each other. And they will meet in eternity. And we may have a full understanding there because we only know in part today. First Corinthians tells us that. And what each of these teachers say is we cannot try to push these tracks together or pull them apart. 
Because when we do, we create disaster. We create disaster. Think of a train on that, and all of a sudden these tracks move. What happens? Horrible accident. You see that in churches with Christians today, with these truths, trying to force some sort of reasoning to make them both, you know, the same truth. No, they need to be where they're at because if we take anything away from God's authority, the Scripture's authority, he becomes less of a God. And we need an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present God. For the things he says he can do, we need him to be God. But guess what? We need to take the responsibility to walk out truth. Because that is where holiness is found. We say yes to Jesus. You called me to do this. I say yes and I respond to that. We need that so that we can grow and mature in Jesus Christ. Because if we just sat there and said, well, he's in charge. I'm just hanging out. He's got it all figured out. No, we have a responsibility. And we have to ride that train of truth all the way. It's important. So God has chose us. But what's really cool in verse 5, there's a, a single purpose. Both of those thoughts have the same purpose. And that is to adopt us as sons of God. To adopt us as sons of God. To adopt us into the family of God. Because we are adopted into the family of God. And God becomes our father. God becomes our father. Where he can, like a father is to do, is to protect us. Is to guide us. To instruct us. God our father wants to do that. And he can only do that if we're on the foundation that he established in Jesus Christ. I love this. And when we're adopted into the family of God, we get an inheritance too. It calls us sons, right? And, and that's, you know, it's not only boys allowed, just so you know, ladies, don't worry about that. Um, but what it means is it was the oldest son who got the inheritance. All the father had went to that oldest son. So that's what it's making re reference to. You have all the life, all the power of all eternity uh, from God the Father to you sons, men and women. So powerful. But what's cool about when we're adopted into God's family we're also adopted into the family of God's people, brothers and sisters, together. So here's what's so important is we cannot walk in a worthy manner alone. One thing that COVID-19 has done, breaks my heart as I've watched a lot of isolation happening. Lots of people just kind of staying away from the family of God, getting kind of busy, just getting easy not to come. And I tell you what, if you see scripture, that is exactly the, how the, the enemy, he says he prowls around like a roaring lion. That's how he hunts. Looking for somebody to isolate themselves. Get away from the family of God where we're supported and encouraged and lifted up, cared for. And that's a lion. He gets his, his prey to isolate. And bam, right? Same thing that Satan does. And I see that happening everywhere right now. Because there's a ready excuse right now of not being in fellowship, not being with the family of God. But this is one of the foundations. We need each other. How many here, question, have 
experienced an adoption, have been adopted. Some people adopted, okay. Um, well, that became kind of a truth in my life just four years ago. I found out a sister that I kind of heard about but um, didn't know existed through Ancestry.com, comes around. Uh, she's alive. She reaches out to me. And so, whoa. And so, um, so I kind of experienced that. What does that mean to have, you know, someone adopted in the family, adopted out of my family? Um, well, I reached out to her this week, and I said, tell me about what it means to be adopted. And I love this. She says, um, to be adopted means somebody chose me. Someone kind of picked me out personally. There I am, picked me out from who I am, what I bring. They said, we choose you. And they brought me in and loved me and cared for, provided protection. And in our situation, uh, rescued us from something that was horrendous and therefore gave me a foundation that I could be successful now. And so she says, I am so grateful for my adopted parents. That's what we get when we're adopted by God. A chance to succeed on this walk that we're called to walk out. We need that foundation. So I want to give you some suggestions. How do you walk out this, this foundational truth of God that he chose us? He adopted us. Uh, it starts with this is that we have to rest in his sovereignty, that he's in charge. We have to trust him. When life doesn't make sense, we have to understand that his ways are not our ways. That suffering in scripture brings character development. We have to understand that this world is not our home. So all of our joy will not be found here no matter how many days you live here. We have to trust God's sovereignty, that he has it, and be at peace with that. The second thing is this, that we have to respond to his grace. We have to accept the responsibility that he is going to offer himself. He's going to offer opportunities for us to step in and grow. Choices for us to make, to saying yes to him. We have to accept that responsibility. So yeah, I'm going to accept this on me. I have to, and the conscience of my will, say yes to Jesus and the no to whatever, right? And the reason you do it is all for his glory. The reason we do it is all for his glory, right? And his glory is his goodness. It's his praise to him for all that he is and who he is and that he's done and will do for us. I want my life to be a reflection of that. I want every decision I want my peace of mind, my security found for his glory. And when we do that, we are resting on his foundation, that good foundation that he has. It's good stuff. So let's keep going, okay? So the son, right, this next uh, agent in the Trinity, and what role does the son play? You know, Jesus, the son, he provides access back onto the foundation, Okay, through redemption in his blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses or our sins. From the riches of his grace, it says. And here's the thing what he's getting. It's through redemption. 
And what redemption means is this, is to redeem something back to where it was. Before the foundation of the earth, God set a foundation for you, and that is Jesus Christ. Sin has taken us off that. And sin is something every one of us have. It's knocked us off that foundation. But Jesus wants you to be part of that. And he, he says, I want you to be with me. And so he pays the price. A little picture for you. It's like a wedding. You know, I got married. And generally you get married in your 20s. It's, not, no, it's getting a little later now. Um, but um, what happens is you're broke, right? You don't have very much money. So you get in this wedding going, then you hire all these other, ask these other guys to come and be part of your wedding that are broke too, right? So, so, but you want in there so bad that you pay their way, right? And all your buddies come out and act a fool, eat all your food, do all their stuff, and you're buying them, you're renting taxes. It's, it's crazy, but it's the same scenario going here. Jesus says, I want you to be part of my party. I want you to stand on the foundation that God, the Father created, that's me, right? <laughs> and I'm going to pay the way. I'm going to buy everything. And here's what the cost for your sin is. It's keeping you from it. It's his blood on that cross. Right? It's his life for your life. It's his sacrifice. It's his sacrifice so that you don't have to. He says, he gives it freely because he loves you. He loves you. He pays the price. He lays his life down. He said, I'm going to make access so you can get on this foundation. And he says, no matter where you're at, how far you've strayed, I'm here inviting you, accessible through me, back to the foundation to walk this worthy walk that will lead you to your blessing, every spiritual blessing. He does that. And I love this. It says in verse 9 that he makes his will known to us. He makes himself known to us. See, Jesus isn't hiding from us. Luke 19.10 says very clearly what his mission is. Jesus says, I have come to seek and save the lost. Those who have fell off the foundation, I'm coming for them. I'm looking for them. Jesus makes himself known. It's not some secret thing. I've talked to a lot of people. Generally, here's what I find. You don't see Jesus because you're not looking for him. When you look for Jesus, there's a promise, and my experience says that it is, will be fulfilled as you will find him. So when you're going through life and wherever you're at, if you're not seeing Jesus right now, let me challenge you. Are you looking for him? Is this stuff over here a little more fun? It takes a little less time. I could do my own thing. My eyes are over here, and Jesus says, look this way. Please, pay the price. Look this way. Look this way. Because I want to put you back on this foundation where every spiritual blessing is for you. I have it for you. Do you see Jesus? Do you see him? So how do we walk out this truth? First thing, you have to say yes. Yes to your need. We're all sinners. All of us drift. All of our eyes drift. We need him. 
We need him. We can't do it on our own. And we say yes to his work. He who know no sin bore our sin, became our sin. So Jesus, I'm, I say yes to that invitation. I want the life abundant that you promised me that comes through your sacrifice so that I can live today and forever with you on that good foundation that you are saying yes to that. And lastly here, we look at the Holy Spirit. Uh, Carla did an amazing job in communion. I just love that. And really just replay that back, and it, it was so fitting. But in verses 13 and 14, uh, what we're told is uh, the Holy Spirit plays a role in our worthy walk, walking on that foundation that is Jesus. What the Holy Spirit does is says the Holy Spirit is our seal and our guarantee. Verse 13 and 14 there. And what does it mean that he's our seal? Uh, a seal, remember, it was a, an authoritative um, stamp, a brand, if you would. Uh, a lot of kings and people authority had these rings, right? You can see it right there. And they would stamp some sort of legal transaction or document and say, this is with my authority. You know, much of you understand a brand. You know, someone brands an animal like that is ours. This belongs to this ranch. And what comes with a seal um, is this, is first of all, it tells us that it's personal. 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says the Holy Spirit indwells us, is with us. When God says the Holy Spirit is his seal, it's not just some sort of stamp, it's a person, the person of the Holy Spirit within us. So God says this journey that I'm having, you walk out, I'm with you. I'm all in. I'm there. Every step, you will not walk alone. God is with you. And I'll provide this for you, protection. That stamp said, someone violates this contract, they got to answer to that person. Someone violates and comes against us, we have somebody who has our back. That's God himself. He will protect you. He is fighting for you, Exodus 14, 14 says. You don't have to worry. This world is nuts and crazy, but God has your back. I love this too. You, uh, that stamp means anything to deal with this transaction, I've got my provision. I, I, I'll pay for it. Every resource I have is right here. Guess what? You don't have a need because God says he'll provide all of your needs. He will be with you. He will take care of you. Trust him. I love this last thing is uh, it comes with power. That, a king stamps on there his seal. You messed with this. Um, that's the power of the king. Not just in protection, but this is making a statement. Acts 1.8 is very clear that as believers, God made a statement by giving us the Holy Spirit. And we will have power to be his witnesses. Power, the power of God to be his witness to say, hey, as I'm walking on this foundation, I don't have to do it out of my own strength. God has empowered me, and you can watch me. Because when you watch me under that power, you're going to see God. I'm going to be his witness. And then what I'm going to have is every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Everything God has for you poured out. So how do we walk in that truth? His surrender to it. Galatians 5 tells us to live by the Spirit. It's about surrender, saying yes to his ways. Say, yes, Spirit, you lead me, you guide me. I trust you and your steps. 
So I'm going to let you lead. Probably one of the more difficult things we do as humans is to lay our will down and lift up his will on a daily basis. But this is a good foundation of Jesus Christ. So what is our next steps with that? What's our next step? I want to encourage us, just like Paul does, right? That we offer a praise of thanksgiving, a doxology to his goodness and his greatness. That God is good and he's powerful and he provides everything we need. He provides the foundation for us to walk in a worthy manner as Christians and lift up the praise for that. But like any foundation, it doesn't matter how strong it is, how good it is, until you trust it. Right? Until you say, okay, I'm going to trust this section. That's trust. You've got to step into it. And Jesus says, I am calling you. I've made a way. I've given you access to trust the foundation that is me. And we have to say yes to that. So if you are here and you've never made a decision to say yes to Jesus Christ and trust the foundation that God has given before the foundation of the world for you, say yes. You find yourself broken, distant in relationship. Things aren't making sense. Anger is filling your heart. Division, pain, uncertainty. Jesus has come. I invite you to the foundation. Trust me. Step in and say, God, I haven't been trusting enough. I need to say yes to you. I need to say yes. I want to trust you with everything. If you've been here and you've trusted God for a long time and you just drifted, you said, you know what, this has become routine to me. I just pray in the name of Jesus he would knock you out of that right now in a good way because we are to grow in Christ. There's more for you every day. You know, this should never be routine as we encounter the God of the universe who loves us and has so much for us. So I pray for you, if there's some area in your life that you are not walking in a worthy manner, not trusting the foundation gift to you, you respond in faith and say, yes, I need to get this right. You know, we're going to have a prayer team up here to pray, talk to somebody. Uh, I'm going to invite you to stand right now, uh, and let's just praise God from whom all blessings flow.